quick pivot here, Cronoso listeners. Episode 12 was initially supposed to be a one-part episode. However, executive decision here to go two. We went a little long in the tooth. No harm, no foul. However, we recorded it and spliced it to be one episode. So, this is part one. Part two will be in two weeks. All right, everyone, enjoy the show. Thank you. Said I love her forevermore But the trouble is I tell the same old story To every girl that walks through the door This is the slick star talking at your money <laughs> Well, first they love me And then they don't Sometimes they do it And sometimes they won't So I said to this girl Hey, you get out And she got to her feet And began to shout You a dinosaur Welcome to episode 12 of Cronoso. We have one Saturday night lined up for you here at the tail end of this podcast, but we have our typical potpourri episode where we dive all over the place from the end of SummerSlam 88 all the way up to the 17th edition of Saturday Night's Mid Events. We will span from Philadelphia Spectrum, Boston Garden, Superstars, where we saw the debut of Akeem. We dipped into the Meadowlands, where we replaced the MSG for the month of SummerSlam. We take a stripped down memory road for all of Mr. Perfect's vignettes. Ted DiBiase is bought by Hercules. Brother Love invites the Red Rooster. We have a King of the Ring 1988 report from Providence, Rhode Island. Brother Love again, where the boss man is, is attacking Hulk Hogan. And we have a very fun Rockers vs. Demolition match from MSG from October. We have quite a few new guests here on Cronoso this month, where Chad Campbell dips his toes back into the waters. And Keithy invites his tag team partner, Keith Winston's from Reading for Allentown. And then we close the show with our typical awesome Saturday Night Stain event review from Baltimore, Maryland. All right, guys, that is it. Greetings from Allentown. Take it over, boys. Cronoso Monthly, we are back. Uh, I am Keithy Langston, and I am here with a very special guest. Uh, my tag team partner, my partner in crime, my uh, the man who completes me. Uh, this week, I am uh, this month. I'm taking a break from hanging out with JT, and I am bringing in the one and only Petey Winston. Petey, how are you today? Oh, uh, fabulous! After that intro, that was more over the top than Apollo Creed in Rocky Four. Oh, <laughs> living in America. I thought you were going to say Apollo in, in Rocky Three. He's pretty over the top in Rocky Three too. Come on, man. <laughs> What's the matter with you? He says, what's the matter with you? Like 500 times to Rocky in that movie. And I only know that because I watched it recently. And uh, and, and this makes sense because we're actually doing we're actually watching a show from the Philly Spectrum on Spectrum Television. So we're talking Philadelphia. We're talking Rocky Balboa. We're talking Apollo Creed. And uh, I was watching Rocky three the other day and I went and, and there was only like I, 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 the movie is just it, it's. <sighs> How do I explain it? How's the best way to explain this movie, Pete? What do you think? Um, well, <laughs> it, it's a series of montages. I, now, you mean Rocky Three or Rocky Four? No, no, Rocky Three. Well, Rocky Three, Rocky Four, Rocky Five. Dare I even say Rocky Two? I think everything after the first Rocky. There's only one phrase that is said uh, by one of the greats of um, rock and roll history. Um, says it often, and um, 
And what would that be, Pete? That there's no easy way out. No, no, no. There's a there's a there's a certain phrase that we know of that one of the rock and roll greats say. I'm looking oh, for, I'm looking for a particular <laughs> drop, Pete. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what you do. Yeah. That is absurd. Yeah. The Thank whole you. fucking movie is absurd. But anyway, yes. anyway, I digress. Uh, so, yeah, I, I dis I disagree. Rocky three is a fine picture that set up Rocky four. You see Apollo yelling at Rocky. Rocky was, you know, doing the slow burn storytelling, as Jim Ross says, mm-hmm. and was like, you know what? If this guy is getting his ass beat by some Russian and might die, I'm not going to throw the towel as I wear my Ralph Polo shirt that like just looks obnoxious. Rocky Valboa, who did not go to the Helen Hart School of Cornerman. <laughs> Bal- Balboa wear- wearing the same shirt that all the obnoxious kids I went to middle school wore, the, the kids that I hated. Ah, that's really funny. So, so maybe, maybe it, maybe it is absurd. Maybe you're right. It is absurd. The movie's absurd. But that's, but neither here nor there. Let's talk about something else that's absurd, and that is the match that we're going to be watching for Cronoso Monthly this week. Uh, it is a 15 minute, I believe it is a 15 minute time limit draw. Uh, the only reason I think that it's a 15 minute time limit draw is because that's the length of time that the match goes for between the one true king Haku or uh, King Tonga, as he was called at WrestleMania Five by. Uh, <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Howard Finkel versus Chico is the word Chico Santana. Now this is live at the Philly forum or Philly spectrum or whatever it is on spectrum TV. We also have, and this is why I asked you because number one, um, I believe that uh, we are going to have um, commentary from um, who is it again? Uh, Dick Worley. Uh, Dick, Dick Graham. Dick or, Graham. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a Dick Worley? Who is Dick uh, Worley? Dick Worley was the referee uh, or, uh, up through like the first half of the 80s. Dick okay. Graham was okay. the the lovely grandfatherly character on uh, Spectrum Wrestling on Prism, who mm-hmm. this is literally the only WWF programming he appears on. But he would nice. appear on every Philly show for like 10 years. Like it was contractually mandated. This guy must be the play by play guy for this. Excellent. Phenomenal. So that's good because I know that you like this. And also we have a backstage interview segment that we're going to talk about real quick (laughs) with your friend and mine, Cal Rudman. Oh, yes. Interviewing Chico. So if you want to go ahead uh, and we can press play, we'll watch this. About to interview one of the great favorites of the fans that come to the spectrum. (laughs) Cal Rudman. Cal Rudman, refer, course, the Friday morning quarterback. Santana. <laughs> ah, Chico, in, and he's in, he's going to interview Chico here. Yeah. I do fine now that you're back. I mean, we haven't seen you for about six months. Yeah, it's been a while. You know, I miss coming here uh, to wrestle in Philadelphia, and of course, uh, most of the people know that I'm on my own now. My partner has received an injury. I don't <laughs> oh boy, he boy did he ever just get hung up on the breakup with Martel? I mean, he was too <laughs> too emotionally invested in that tag team. I mean, the great thing about it is, is Tito's only, what, like 20 minutes away from his house at this point? <laughs> I, <laughs> his, his shoot home? <laughs> I've, I've, se- I've seen dudes get divorced from their wives <laughs> who got over it a hell of a lot quicker than Tito Santana got over the Martel thing. And I think so, well, some of them might even be on this call right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know what the funny thing is, is that he really never did get over it because he wore that strike 
that strike force lightning bolt on his tights well up until 90, what, 91 when he came in as El Matador. In yeah. fact, I don't know if you know this, but the, the actual strike, he had the lightning bolts painted the same color as his El Matador trunks so that he could still wear it, but it blends in. You don't see it unless you're looking at close inspection. I've gotten that close to Tito Santana since, and I saw the El Matador. I saw the strike from the uh, the lightning strike from Strike Force. So I know that Tito, that candle still burns for, uh, for, 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 for Frenchie Martel. It burns bright and it burns hard. <laughs> Yes. You, you, you can never interrupt a Tito Santana promo because he could bust out in Spanish at any moment or, or tell us, don't swim alone. <laughs> that's my that's my favorite out of the, the Tito Santana PSAs. Don't swim alone. I don't even know when he'll be back, but I've started on my own again, and the people know what I've done in the past on my own, and uh, it's going to be a long journey to the top, Killer Cal, but I guarantee you. Oh, Killer Cal. With the fence support. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt in my mind that it won't be long before Tito Santana will be up there again wrestling against the top contenders. There's a lot of things going on with the uh, world championship belt, the intercontinental belt, and I guarantee you I aim to be one of the number one contenders real soon, Killer Cal. Well, you have held championships in the past, and, of course, you have fought solo most of your career. And, of course, Ever again. Of course, Rick Martel, <laughs> we're talking about. Who Cal's was. hair is, yeah, is Martel, uh, damn it's Mona Lisa. A, it's a football helmet at this point. Uh, probably yes. the top faster than any tech team in the history of a uh, tech team championship wrestling. Man, he looks like he's about to cry and, uh, over this. A tragedy happened at the hands of the uh, demolition. He was a concussion. Most of the people here saw what happened. And you know, uh, you know, you God can recover from a leg injury, you can recover from a knee injury. But a head injury, the doctors will not release you. The commissions are very, very strict. And at this point, Axe comes off the apron and we're mourning, but you know, <laughs> you, you know, you know come on, Martel's not dead. Shows up, I represent come on, huh? And I fight for us. I haven't given up on you. I'm still waiting. But if you, you know, for some unforsakable reason, oh, Jesus. he's not able to come is back. Tito the one guy from the 80s Tito that Santana needed somebody to write a script for him? Make a mark again here in the World Wrestling It, it is interesting. He was a good enough babyface promo because people just naturally liked him. He's in better yeah. shape and better condition and is a lot smarter than he That's was. That's good conditioning, Vince. I'm ready. Now you're going to fight King Haku. What do you think? Well, this is a, you know, right away you, they, they throw you into the fire, you know, uh, King Haku. <laughs> Uh, king Kaku. Acquisition in the singles, uh, king Kaku. The he's made him the king. You know, he, he's taking over the ex king, the new king, and the Weasel has brought new life. Has showed him individual things to do to break the rules to get ahead. They make a question. Is Tito watching the weekly TV here? I don't think so. Something, Weasel. I've done it alone for many, many years. He taped Challenge, but he hasn't gotten around to it. You know what the funny thing is, too, is I notice that Cheeto does this a lot. Is I'm going to be bowing is what I'm going to be picking up at No Good Haku. Oh. Put the boots to him. Oh. I'm here in Philadelphia for one reason. To start a new career for Tito Santana. No way am I going to let the king beat Tito Santana. I'm coming to win. I'm coming to beat you, Weasel. I've got plenty for you, too, baby. If you show you. If you stick your nose in my match, liable to get chopped off, Weasel. <laughs> we got lots to look forward to when we come right back. I, Cal, Cal looks like. Um, I mean, it looks like he's wearing a Ronald Reagan mask, but it's Martin George's character doing it for some reason. 
I can't believe the way they look, brother. That's what I'm waiting on. Oh, I heard the word brother. So, and since it's not Hogan's voice, it must be superstar Billy Graham. Oh, yeah. From the Isle of Tonga. Oh, yeah. Hey, he got it right, whoever that guy is. Yep. You ever priced a flight to Tonga? No. Is it expensive? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, you got to pay, but it wasn't as much as I thought it would be. Then again, uh, that was like four years ago, and the and the world has kind of changed since then. So maybe Why? I should price another flight to Tonga. Why are you pricing flights to go to Tonga? I think I was I think I was checking to see how much would it cost to actually go to that remote island in the Pacific, and then I like looked up Fiji and then the various other ones. I I have no intention of going there anytime soon. I mean, that might be a fun trip. Now, out of the WWF kings of the 80s that you recognize, uh-huh. who, who was the most kingly, do you think? Hmm. I mean, hmm. out of the 80s? Yeah, so, so really, Haku, Harley Race, and Savage. Oh, yeah, because you know I don't, I don't recognize yeah. that. Guy. <laughs> oh, okay, I'm going to say Savage. Because I, okay. I think Savage's first few years, which was 89-90, he's very regal. Mm-hmm. It's not until, like, 91, you know, where he's wearing just the cowboy outfits. You know, and he did, of course, he loses it. He did drive home the point by also having a queen with him. You know, something that the other the other kings didn't have. Except for that time that they saddled uh, Harley Race with Moolah at WrestleMania 3. Yeah. That awful... Moolah, slave girl Moolah. Was, um, was it Bob, some sort of rib on on, on Bob Euchre to like have him attracted to uh to to Moolah? I, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it was um or se- well, or or separate ribs each year, one to Harley Race by pairing him with Moolah, and then to Bob Euchre the next year. Although I guess he was looking for Moolah at three, so yeah. I mean, I I, me- I messed up my years. Now, usually you would confuse WrestleMania four with five since that's the same stadium. Yeah. And not WrestleMania three. But Bob Uga's at three and four. He's not at five. But, right. Yeah. So I can see where you're messing it up. Mm-hmm. But let's not forget that Bob Uga's obsessed with finding Vanna White at four. Yes. And even even to the point where he's 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 almost creepy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that kind of does go unspoken, doesn't it? You know, there are celebrities out there who, for whatever reason, mm-hmm. and, and they don't really exist if they're under the age of seventy. I think at this point. Yeah. But like, the the recently departed Bob Barker had some stuff happen. Whatever happened there, mm-hmm. and you know, with the one of the know barker's beauties or whatever and and the same for same for bob Uecker. even even though norm almost ratted him out <laughs> kind of look at that trollop <laughs> now uh bobby heenan's not with haku in this match oh so tito chico like arguing with bobby about bobby heenan just kind of 
That really just fell flat for him. I feel bad. <laughs> well, they, they they stopped briefing Tito on on the finer points of the company after he stopped watching the weekly TV. <laughs> like Carl, Cal's like, yeah. For those in the audience, could you please explain the character development of King Haku, your opponent tonight, over the last four to six months? Thank you very much. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I will say this match followed uh, Savage and DiBiase, in which uh, DiBiase uh, gets hit, gets thrown into the turnbuckle, the exposed turnbuckle, and that's how he gets, that's how he loses. But right before that, Virgil hits Savage in the head with a chair. Oh. Yeah, so it was actually kind of a pretty interesting, interesting battle. You know, come to think of it, did Virgil get invited to Savage's bachelor party in 91? I don't think so. It's weird, because you'd think that Virgil would be there since he was so associated with Piper. Mm-hmm. And, Pipe, and Piper was, like, you know, like leading the leading the, the Animal House charge or whatever. You'd like to think that, wouldn't you? <laughs> uh, Interestingly enough, that, that Savage DiBiase match is not on. Cronoso Monthly for this month, so we're kind of, yeah, this month we're actually doing kind of, well, we're doing the Saturday Night's Main Event from October, and uh, then we're kind of doing a mixed bag of other shows uh, kind of building to that that Saturday Night's Main Event, and that's why we have, you know, that's why this this gem, this hidden gem from the Spilly, Spilly Spectrum, Philly Spectrum came up. And the King's gone. I, I wonder, though, when you're going to a time limit draw, mm-hmm. like, dudes go out there knowing, all right, well, I've got to conserve my energy. So sometimes there's a reason why these things would fall flat. I think you can wear the king down. The king looks a little bit yes. it's, a, it's a little bit easier if, you, if you're only going eight minutes and you know that and there's a winner and there's a loser. But it's like, oh, we're going out there for 15 minutes and, you know, nobody's going to win. Yeah, but it's kind of cool, though, because you know that Tito and Haku probably could wrestle. I mean, like, I, I mean, granted, you know, we have uh, Larry Zabisco Haku here right now, <laughs> walking on the outside, just stalling. Hey, he knows he's got to do 15 minutes. It's kind of, you know, like... Uh... You, you spend a few extra moments in the bathroom because you know that that's the room where you, you that you get to yourself and you can have a little peace for a while. That is true. Yes. Yeah. Any 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 married person out there with children would know that. Uh, any married man with children would know that that the bathroom is the only place in the house that you can uh, enjoy yourself. <laughs> Enjoy or some peace and quiet. Or perhaps this is just a deep psych ops operation with both of these guys because remember they've been to war with each other in the 87 the whole concept of strike force happened because tom zenk left the islanders were ganging up on martel one time and tito made the save haku was in the islanders and yeah that's you know i mean haku's like haku's playing like the anti-king of the mountain i don't know can you be an anti-king of the mountain like he's <laughs> he's like i refuse to get in the ring tito's like come on in haku's like no i'll, I'll stay out here thank you very much <clears throat> this 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 is some serious high quality memphis stalling now they probably should advise him 
could you stop standing there with like the 6,000 empty seats, you know, right behind your head? Yeah, yeah, this was this was not a well attended show at the Philadelphia Spectrum. Nah, that much is clear. That much is certain. Forty four hundred and eighteen. Mm. That place sat about sixteen, seventeen thousand. People well, got b- better things to do, you know, the last weekend of August, which is when I think this was. Yes. Yeah, August twenty seventh, the August twenty seventh house show. Uh, let's see, uh, 1988, August 27th, um, were the Phillies in town? Uh, let me see, the Philadelphia it, Phillies were... It's in, unlikely. Nope, they were in town, they were playing okay. the Los Angeles Dodgers, they lost 2-4. to four. Uh, let me see, let me look at the box score. You, you mean they lost 4-2. to two. <laughs> Hey, I Here, said it. This, this is America, we, we say the highest score first. <laughs> It was at the vet, game time, three hours and three minutes. Started, the day you won my own home. <laughs> started at 7.06. Uh, attendance, 27,324. Not Ooh, bad. Not, is, that, is that good? How much did the vet usually, you know? Well, the vet, the vet held like 55,000, but baseball attendance for for that period of time, that that's that's pretty good. Yeah, the Phillies were not uh, were not in a good position. They were, they were 52 and 76 on the year. And oddly enough, the Dodgers would go on and win the World Series that year. Yep. So we had uh, Steve Sachs coming to town, uh, Kirk Gibson, let's see, Mickey Hatcher, John Shelby, Tracy Woodson. Do these names? Mike Sosha. John Shelby once uh, charged Roger Clemens, and he got tackled from behind by John Marzano. And I regret to inform that that wonderful moment in baseball history is not on YouTube. <laughs> and, and this is a call to arms for anybody out there. If anybody has the footage of Roger Clemens get. By the way, Shelby was bringing a bat out to the mound, too. That I, I kind of left out that very important detail, which made the tackle by Marzano all the more dramatic. Yes. Uh, on the Phillies, the Phillies had Phil Bradley, Milt Thompson, Juan Samuel, Ricky Jordan, Ron Jones, Darren Dalton, uh, Shane Turner, Steve Jeltz. They had a guy named, they had a guy named Shay Turner? Um, Shane Turner. Shane. Oh, Shane Turner, because I was going to say they have a guy named Trey Turner now. Ah! Well, yeah. Shane Turner, uh... Darren Dalton had a double and a sacrifice fly, getting one of the RBIs. Ricky Jordan getting the other. And uh, Don Can't, Don Carmen took the loss, bringing his uh, record to 9-9 nine and nine that season. Tim Leary took the win, uh, bringing his record to 15-8. and eight. After the game, Carmen <laughs> took, time, took time out to write Hungry Eyes with his brother Eric. I thought you were going to say after the game. <laughs> oh, you thought I was going to steer it back to wrestling? Now, why would I do that? After the game, Andre the Giant came down or the came out onto the field, and Rugged Ronnie Gavin came out and body slammed him. <laughs> and for those of you who don't know that listen to Cronoso monthly, please come and listen to GFA Live, uh, where we where we where we have an ongoing joke about how uh, there's no way in hell. 
that rugged Ronnie Garvin body slammed Andre the Giant. That is absurd. Exactly. So I, I refuse to believe, much like I refuse to accept King Duggan, I refuse to accept that Ronnie Garvin body slammed Andre. Heading back to this matchup, Tito Santana taking a beating right now by King Haku, as he should. Now, what, what do you got against Tito? Come on. Well, I mean, just take, look, Haku in 1988 was a hot, hot commodity. Tito's coming off of being in a tag team trying to rebuild a singles career, yet still putting a, you know, leaving the light on for Rick Martel when he comes back. Oh, he's biting him in the face. Now, that's not a move you see very much. Oh. Well, you know, Haku, uh, <laughs> he could take certain parts of your face away from you. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> he has been known to do that. And, I, and I'm not saying he would do the stupid, fakakta, you know, dad, uh, got your nose trick. He, he would actually take your nose. In fact, Haku's sense of smell is enhanced by the eight noses that he carries around with him at all times. Trophies. <laughs> Trophies to the men who messed with me before. These are my awards, mother. <laughs> I went to Army. <laughs> These are my awards from Army. Ah, uh, wonderful. It's always kind of weird seeing the mats on the floor in Philly for, for some reason. Mm-hmm. Well, why? Is it because you, you associate Philly with just ECW and violence and no mats? Or? When I think of the Philly Spectrum shows that, for these WWF shows, I generally gravitate more towards earlier in the 80s. In terms, in terms of ones that I've watched. Now, like, the, this is very late stage because February of 89, I think, is the last one. So so we don't get these shows, you know, where it's well lit like this and, yeah. and with the blue mats. Usually it's more more dark and gritty. and, and more house, know, Yeah, more, yeah. more house show, yeah. We're at the weird intersection of we're still televising this stuff, but we're actually going to light it well enough to be fit for TV. That's right. And that's why 1988-89 is such a glorious time. Now, Haku is playing the real king of the mountain. He's refusing to let Tito get into the ring here. It was it was a glorious time. Before Crazy Vince went to start a war in New Jersey. That's right. Telling everybody wrestling was fake. Yep. To save 20 bucks on his taxes. It was before Appalachia. (laughs) (laughs) Thank thank you for picking up where I just, I just, I wandered off the reservation on that joke there. It was before, it was before, it was before Jim Cornette tried to start something in Appalachia. (laughs) That's a Smoky Mountain joke. <laughs> I, I always enjoy the thing that, that Kaku just did. He goes up on the second rope, but realizes the dude is just too far away. <laughs> and it just hops down. It, it's, n- nothing is better than the time in the 92 Royal Rumble where Shawn Michaels is up on the second rope for like 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. And no, nobody goes near him. Yeah, because nobody cares. 92 Shawn Michaels was not anybody's priority. <laughs> certainly not certainly not Marty Janetti's. 
Did somebody give uh, referee Alberto Roman some amphetamines? Because uh, I've never seen him like look so animated or, or care so much about what was going on. Oh, he's got to get back into some sort of shape. Oh, we have Lord Alfred Hayes is on the call here with superstar Billy Graham. <laughs> Yeah, you know, for a second there, I thought you were actually just doing Lord Al just to do him. But then uh, I realized, oh, yeah, he really is doing this show with superstar Billy Graham and Dick Graham. Yeah, Dick Graham. No relation. Wait a minute. Superstar Billy Graham, Dick Graham. Hmm. That's weird. (laughs) Unrelated, believe it or not. The only thing is, since Monsoon doesn't call these Philly Spectrum shows anymore, he's yeah. not around to just ruthlessly make fun of Alberto Roman as he would on MSG shows, both before and after. Oh, really? Look at that. He's wearing a belt. He still has to pull his pants up. Who is he, me? That's my move. <laughs> That's my move. That's my move. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't been this incensed by Alberto Roman since he didn't take a bump or do anything when Stud and Patero were cutting Andre's hair back in 84. Absolute, absolute disgrace. <laughs> Fucking nauseating. <laughs> oh, we swear on this program? Oh, sure. Come on, huh? Oh, yes. oh, yeah. I mean, I don't think there's a show I can do where I have to work clean the whole time. I mean, come on. Let's be Fucking clear. nauseating. Yeah, let me be let's let me be clear. I'm pretty sure I have to. I'm pretty sure everything I do is working blue. So mm. now I do want to say that it doesn't look like any of the other shows uh, from this any of the other matches from this show. It's going to be showcased on Cronoso Monthly this week, this month. So I think I'm going to just go right ahead. And, uh-oh. Oh, we got a bell. Oh. Nobody home. <laughs> Nobody home. Big flip. So that's it. That's 15 minutes in the books, folks. I mean, oh, Chico hits the flying jalapeno. You, you know, that's kind of a cheap shot by Tito. He heard yeah. the bell. Yeah. Uh, well, we got to get the baby faces heat on the way out. That's right. Even though it's August 27th, and I don't know how good the air conditioning was in the old spectrum. Well, I just want to go down the list and say the. Uh... Oh, 15 minute draw. There we go. So that's uh, Tito. That's Tito Santana and King Haku, and a time limit draw. But the rest of the show, Ron Bass pinning Lanny Poffo. Oh wow. At 5:36 with the pedigree to open the show. Um, Jacques and Raymond defeated Brett and Jim at 17:46 when Jacques, the legal man, pinned Brett with a double axe handle from the middle turnbuckle to the back of Brett's neck as he was pinning Raymond following a pile drive. Oh. Uh, the Blue Blazer pinned Barry Horowitz. Is is he the Blue Blazer? Okay, I guess he's not the Blue Angel anymore no, at this uh, point. Uh, uh, uh. Is he the Blue Angel now? <laughs> Oh. oh, hey, no. Um, okay. What, 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 what do you want me to... Come on, huh? Jeez. Come on, huh? Yeah. Um, as I said, Randy Savage defeated Ted DiBiase, oh, via disqualification at 1241 when Virgil prevented the pinfall after the challenger hit an unprotected turnbuckle. So, and then it says after the bout, Savage was double teamed. Virgil uh, knew that that was DiBiase's kryptonite. 
exposed turnbuckles through the years. He, he did his whole Virgil. That's why he made so much money teaching. Like he sure. like he said, he always did his homework. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the powers of pain defeated Nikolai Volkov and Boris Zukov at 850 when Barbarian pinned Zukov with a diving headbutt off the top rope, falling a running power slam from the Warlord. So both of them, Barb and I never minded showing off our uh, singles, uh, our singles finishers when we were in the tag team together. Uh. <laughs> we didn't need to do anything different. We, we we had a series of matches with the Bolsheviks. And I, I like working with Nikolai and Jim. They, they were good guys. But Jim. every single one of those matches went exactly eight minutes and 50 seconds and ended the exact same way because yep. we believe in a foundation of routine. We do not. We, we obey the laws of thermodynamics in this. <laughs> Uh, and Rick Rude in the main event, I guess the real main event of the evening, Rick Rude defeated Jake Roberts via countout at 1845. Holy shit. Those guys, <laughs> 1845 and then a countout after well, pulling the snake bag with Damien inside in front of Roberts to prevent him from getting back into the ring. After the bout, Roberts hit the referee and then attacked Rude <laughs> and wrapped Damien around him. After that, Andre came down to make the save. And after that, in the little-known NWA invasion of 1988, Ronnie Garvin came down to the ring, uh, and picked up Andre over his head, and sent him for the ride. That is absurd. Nope. <laughs> the one thing I will say that upsets me is that the Edmonton show that night, there was a scheduled Danny Davis versus Georgie Animal Steel match that was canceled. Oh, my so, God. Wow. In Edmonton, so... Edmonton not getting to see that classic matchup uh, get, that will that will not be seen on Cronoso Monthly. They, they fucking got Terry Taylor and Ben Bassarab three from the top. What kind of world is this? <laughs> yeah. Oh wait, he's not that yet. Not not that yet. <laughs> Bassarab's on all those Canadian, especially the Western <laughs> Canada shows. Uh well, Pete. Thank you so much for joining me on Cronoso Monthly this week. Uh, I really appreciate it. Uh, it's always fun to have. It's always fun to talk wrestling with you. And uh, please catch us every week on GFA Live. On uh, you can check us out on Podbean, uh, Apple Podcast, Spotify, any podcatcher app. I'm pretty sure you can find G- Greetings from Allentown GFA Live. Um, one day we'll get Pete to do a, a, a proper Greetings from Allentown show where he will make his triumphant return to his solo show. And uh, and coming up soon, you will hear Pete on uh, A la carte with Keithy. And uh, you can hear that on the uh, NOSO, the North-South Connection podcast network. And uh, take a listen to everything else we got on the NOSO and on the Place to Be Nation, both the pop feed and the wrestling feed. But uh for uh, my boy, Petey Winston, this is Keithy Langston. Thank you so much for joining us, and have a great evening. Take care. Bye-bye. Turn that off. <laughs> Welcome to Cronoso Monthly. I'm Tim Slopka. Thanks again for joining me. Apologize if I sound a little weird this week. I have uh, got my wisdom tooth pulled, so I think my voice is re- finally returning, but apologize if I sound a little different this week than normal. Uh, anyways, I have the privilege of, of showing a main event from the Boston Garden, September 10th, 1988, between Hulk Hogan and Ted DiBiase. This was uh, a, a N- NESN uh, match or a showcase uh, televised. 
But we decided on this Cardoso Monthly to kind of add some additional matches in this time. Uh, unless we get the main event, Hogan versus Teddy B. Obviously, a very fun match. Uh, so we, we we come off after uh, after the big boss by beats uh, my boy Kempatera, and we get to the introduction of Million Dollar Man. Of course, it's still kind of weird without note without his music, uh, but massive heat. He's in his awesome green suit. Uh, <clears throat> they have a funny graphic that shows up that it talks about him being a West Texas state football star in, in the graphic. It also has like a football field on there. So pretty innovative, I thought for, you know, random fun facts. Uh, Virgil's also out in his silver, uh, silver getup. So massive heat to billionaire man. It's again, it's kind of weird without his mu- music, uh, especially new gen era, uh, that his music is just so classic, but it still gets the heat. Uh, and then it's, as the crowd builds up for billionaire man's heat, they know Hogan's coming out. And once the music hit, hits, the place erupts, massive pops for, for Mr. Hogan. Uh, we get tons of brother from Billy Graham, uh, throughout the Hogan introduction. The Hogan's wearing this like gal. Gladiator helmet too for this match. I've never noticed before. And the back of his shirt also has a Hulk Hogan license plate on him. You know, my first just note again is that this this crowd, crowd is nuts for him. In the ring, he th- uh, as the music's still playing, Hogan rams Virgil and DiBiase's heads together and kind of knocks them both out of the ring. Uh, even does a helmet to Virgil with the head uh, head butt with the helmet on. Great selling by Ted DiBiase to go over the top rope. Like he does this great where he flips over the top rope. Like he kind of gets stuck and then flips over. He does that constantly. I've noticed that before. I don't know if he just doesn't know how to take the bump, but it looks awesome. Like he's a really great seller at it. So a great intro that we get Hogan kind of taking the two guys out. Very classic Hogan move of nailing the kind of the manager and the and the heel out and then celebrating the ring before the match goes off. Uh, one thing I noticed about throughout this match is Lord Alpha Hage really has nothing to add unless Billy Graham specifically calls to him. So don't know what was going on with him, but, you know, Graham would say, hey, Lord Alfred, what do you think about this? It was kind of things. We Again, Superstar Graham throughout is a lot of brothers. Um, they, they talk about right as the match begins how great Hogan does, and he does look in great shape. I think he looks more cut than he ever has in his life, uh, you know, throughout his whole belly. You don't see the belly fat that he had developed later. Uh, I think Ted DiBiase, compared to watching him now in 93 uh, for New Gen on Mission, looks in great shape too, but he doesn't look as cut. He just doesn't have the fat guts. Um, but both guys look in great shape in the 80s, you know, really in their, their prime of, you know, physiques right now. Uh, Hogan starts starts the match off just like any match, kind of takes the takes the, the heat a little bit. And then DiBiase flips it over and it starts taking over. Lots of headlocks, really working on the arm. Superstar Graham even calls out, why is, why is DiBiase working on the arm? I don't think this is a smart move. Hogan's got 24-inch pythons. Why are we... Why are we wasting time with him? But so I really like that commentary. But uh, DiBiase really does some great uh, map based work here, just slowing the pace down, but getting the crowd into it, giving Hogan some little hope spots. Uh, finally, about ten minutes in, Hogan gets uh, you know start, kind of a mini Hulk up, uh, but then they do do a double cross, uh, uh, double clothesline, knock each other out, give each other a, a little breather, give them a chance to plot the rest of the match out. The crowd goes nuts for this. Earl with a great ten count gets to nine, and they both get up. Uh, the end of the match goes when Hogan's taken over again. Virgil gets on the top rope and um, Hogan knocks him down. Uh, but as he does that, DiBiase with a great knee to the back. From there, DiBiase really starts to take over again uh, after kind of the Hulk up and really uh, knocks him out of the ring, slams his head in the staircase, slams his head in the announcing table. Uh, Superstar Graham calls it a Pearl Harbor job, which is, which is again, great. Um then, then DiBiase throws Hogan back in the ring, gets his arms tangled in the ropes, uh, and uh, 
during that, I noticed Hogan was sweating so much in this match compared to DiBiase. So Hogan, or, you know, maybe some body oil too, but Hogan just looks looks like he's been giving us all in this match. DiBiase, not that he hasn't been trying hard, but has not been on the, his offense has been a lot lighter than what Hogan's been giving us. So we finally get to the end. Kind of, kind of convoluted ending, which I always hate hate about. Virgil, again, gets up on the ring apron again. So Hogan goes after him. Um, and DiBiase is going to go for a hit on him. Instead, uh, Hogan turns the table and rams Virgil into DiBiase. Or, sorry, to DiBiase into Virgil's head. What's interesting about this move the second time around is that Virgil's wearing the silly gladiator helmets. And Virgil's head is down the whole time, so he just kind of stands there. And rather than, like, lift his head to see that it's not Hogan that's about to be hit into him, he just keeps his head there. It's a little silly. It's one of those things, kind of like Adrian Dawson cutting a Bruce briefcase hair on the accident. Like, it's one of those silly things where, like, I don't know why wrestlers do this, like, no-look, uh, you know, no-look pass or whatever you want to call it. But kind of silly ending. From that, DiBiase really sells it, falls back, act like he's knocked out. Hogan goes back and does the... Puts the helmet back on. It does a big leg drop. Really massive height on the leg drop, too. The way he kind of angled DiBiase was, was perfect. Uh, so we get a one, two, three. Uh, Hogan celebrates and kind of rolls DiBiase out. Really puts, of course, puts the Gladiator helmet back on and starts a celebration. Uh, really good match. Really good effort by DiBiase here. I thought he was... He looked really strong. He really knew how to keep the crowd into it. Like I said, there was a kind of mini Hulk spot that Hogan had that... DBS had kind of cut off with a double clothesline and kind of reset up for the ending. So really fun match, 13 minutes long. So perfect main event, uh, you know, length match gave DBS a lot of credibility. Again, the only thing I would kind of say is the silly Virgil spot with keeping his head down and kind of the no look, uh, head bang. But besides that, I thought a really solid match and a lot of fun. The crowd again, love this Loved Hogan and a lot of heat for Million Dollar Man throughout this. So a fine, fine main event if you went to that Boston Garden. So, yeah, my name is Tim Slavka, Chronoso Monthly here every other couple weeks. And then also um, uh, every other Tuesday in the North-South Connection with JP, Justin Pratt, the new general mission. Uh, we're working our way through Brendan Shaw's Survivor Series 92 to Brendan Shaw's Survivor Series 97. Hope to hear you uh, give us a listen. Give us rate, rate listen, review, uh, any feedback you got, and appreciate us joining. And thanks, Ryan Gray, as always, for sending this up. Talk to you next time. Well, I met this lady and I told her quite a story, said I love her forevermore. Is that trained that team? Like, like the not trained, but made them audition. Like, like one man gang. We need to see if you can dance before we give you this gimmick. Maybe. Uh, there's still the um, <clears throat> so, so two things. One, I don't know, like you now, there's this Twitter, you know, the Twitter uh, account that says this on this day or whatever today, years old or whatever. Yeah, it's yeah. been popping up. <laughs> And uh, I don't know when it was, but it was very late, like a couple of years ago. I still thought uh, he was saying dinosaur bone, uh, which didn't make any sense as to the jive so bro, but you got a oh. dinosaur bone, a dinosaur <laughs> bone. <laughs> I've had yeah. some messed up lyrics, but that was not one I've ever heard. Yeah. And then uh, that, that goes along with the uh, big boss man grabbing a biscuit instead of grabbing a big stick. Um, but I And then... Yes, and then uh, WrestleMania six. Whenever I hear that song, I think of uh, 
Hakeem doing his like gyrations while Slick's giving that crazy promo where he's just <laughs> like constantly doing that with the the money he like co- coincides with that. And so <laughs> me and my oh, brother still cool. like every once in a while because <laughs> I watch that show so much. The whole thing's amazing. We're going to talk about Akeem quite a bit here tonight. Uh, welcome to Cardoso, JT and Chad, your favorite hosts from Wrestling Warzone. We do a podcast every other, every other Monday going through the history of Monday Night Wars. It's on YouTube and uh, audio as well. But tonight on this Cardoso, Chad, we've been tasked to watch the transformation of the one-man gang to Akeem. So we're going to do that. And then we have a fun little uh, tear maker we're going to do as part of it. Uh, okay, so we've seen this on the screen. We're good? Yep. All right, we're from the pages of the Dave Magazine. This it is Update. Mean Gene on assignment. With an update. In Deepest yeah. Darkest Africa. What <laughs> say? Is that, is that Deepest Darkest Africa or Western? 1960s yeah. Western with the smoke? And... A giant building, fires yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Some new talent. So Slick has invited Gene to this alley, I guess. I don't think they're supposed to be in Deepest Darkest. I think they're supposed to just be in a whatever, back alley somewhere. Scooty wore a tuxedo there. Well, he's on assignment. I, I love that Slick is listening to Jive Soul Bro on the speaker, on the uh, boombox. Which was already out, right? Like, it already dated. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he had been using it with Butch Reed and stuff like prior right. to this. I think he uses it at WrestleMania 4. As we bring Africa to us. There we go. So we're going to have a startling transformation. It's going to shake it right off its very foundation. You're on the World Wrestling Federation? That's right. And guess what? I like why would this transformation shake? Like one, uh, all right, we'll talk about one man gang versus Akeem. I guess I don't know. Time for it to start right now. Let the ceremony be. <laughs> all right, so the ceremony is officially underway. What is this? <laughs> look at him. Look at Slick. Oh, boy. Absolutely incredible. Call a lawyer. Call a lawyer. We'll reapply it. National Geographic. This is wild. This, air. This, this, this is a rough one, even for 1988. They have a full on, I mean, if you're listening and not watching with us, like, just a full on, like, tribal garb. Just, these people just dancing around the fire. Make it happen. And there he is. Big poop, and then Akeem just emerges. Akeem. There he is, strutting over. Akeem, wait a minute, Slick. Wait a minute. 450. I like that they said it, that he was one man gang. You know what I mean? Like, they didn't try and be stupid and, like, hide it. Akeem, don't you ever lose 
Had uh, Coming to America, when, when did that air? When did that come out? Uh, it's Prince Akeem. It's like 87. Yeah. The greatest night in history. So definitely probably mm -hmm. trying to capture the interest in coming to America with a little bit with this. He's already grooving. I love that they never change anything about his look. I know he's only Akeem for like a year and a half, but he's got the yellow drape. He's got the blue tights, the hat. They don't do any alt colors, any alt looks. It is This is Akeem until he's done. Understand what's going down tonight. You don't really understand the impact this is going to have on professional wrestling, do you, brother? <laughs> brother. It's time to go, bro. There we go, Jasso, bro. Love that it. was a nifty little flip of the. Uh, I know, that was good. Yeah. I love their tandem dancing off the camera, too. Oh, great. yeah. They just dance off, off screen, Akeem and Slick. And I want to especially thank. These gracious people for allowing me in the, in the neighborhood, so to speak. In the neighborhood. Thank you very much. We really appreciate it. What about the transformation of the one-man gang? Oh, Akeem. I Akeem. Excuse me. I always thought it'd be cool if they had Akeem. You know, he had the blue. If he would have done like a yellow alt version, all yellow. I think that would look cool. Hey, somebody call me a cab. Get me a cab. Yeah. Gene needs a cab. That's it. Then he was a Sakim. There it was. <laughs> Forward. Um, do you think, given the run that they were gonna prep him for, as like the Twin Towers to fight the Mega Powers against Hogan and Savage, would One Man Gang have been take the nostalgia that we love Akim like out of it? Just yeah. like as a character, One Man Gang is like the prisoner with the prison guard, <laughs> like mm. badass gang guy. Like it seems like that would have been probably a little bit more realistic in that role yeah definitely i mean <laughs> you get you it's tough to get more unrealistic than right. what big game transformed into akeem but uh certainly if he would have done yeah like he was you know a gang member and got caught up with this dirty yeah. cop big boss man there's there's a opportunity to create some sort of backstory that would have them coming together. And Bossman had already debuted. He his television debuts right at the end of June. Yes. So um it it's a it's an odd it's an odd kind of way that I don't I don't even remember how they kind of is it just they just team up or is there well they're both complex uh, guys yeah so I think right I mean, and they they start targeting Hogan Savage leading into Survivor Series. So um, basically, Slick's the only common link. Yeah, yeah, that's them. it. They become a really good team as far as like big hostages. Oh yeah, go. Like, they're fun. Like they're really good. Oh, yeah. in the ring. they're believable threats. I mean, they beat the shit out of Hogan and Savage a bunch of times. Um, I get the change because you figure maybe gangs got miles on the gimmick. Like you know, maybe if you're if you're prepping them for a main event run, give them something different to make it seem refreshed, but. Um, this seems like something they would have done after the main event run. <laughs> like we got to yeah. begin the fight with Hogan and Savage and then transform after that. But 
Um, yeah. I'll never it's, complain. It's kind of odd. I mean, I, I guess the coming to America angle I've never really thought about, but I, I'm guessing that played a role in them trying to uh, cash in on the uh, mainstream nature of what that was all about. So, but yeah, I, I actually, like I, yeah. I just watched One Man Gang's debut in Mid-South like two days ago. Right before he asked me to watch this, he comes running in. And uh, Bill Watts has no idea who he is. Skandor Akbar leads him out. He's like, who is this big guy? And he attacks. So it was fun. Came full I circle. Just, uh, I just watched his appearance in ECW recently. <laughs> in New yeah. Orleans. Recently, so, yeah. <laughs> Popping up everywhere. Gang, a lot of gang activity. Um, mm-hmm. All right, listen. We have one other thing we're going to do here tonight, bud. We are going to... Do a tier maker list of all of these songs on the Pile Driver album. And we're doing that because Jive Slow Bro, that we just talked about, was, of course, uh, famously on the Pile Driver album. So, what I did was I set this up. We have six tiers, there's 10 songs. So, we're going to have one, the one that we think is the most all time classic. Then we got Diamond, which are the next two best, double platinum. To there, two platinum, two gold, and then the cutting room floor. Which which cut? Which track should have been left in the cutting room floor if right. we had to leave one off this album? Um, I, I I believe that Pile Driver is the better album of the first two, just purely by song. I think the original wrestling album for pure entertainment value is is better. Like if you had to kind of rank them that way, but you can't deny the quality of a theme uh, presented on Pile Driver. So I think we're gonna. Have a little bit of a tricky time with, with the top end of this. Uh, the way I laid them out, the picture order at the bottom oh, looks like it got shuffled. Never mind. I was going to try and do it in order of the. Uh, I can pull up the list. Track I was do listing. That, yeah, that it airs. I have the track listing. Okay, I know Strike Force is first. Uh, yeah, Girls and Cars, Girls and Cars is Cars. first. So, Girls and Cars is it's a it's a memorable jam. Uh, you know, I, I think it works well for the construct of what they were trying to do with those guys. It's kind of a little soft for like when they're coming into the ring, you know what I mean? Like coming down the aisle like that. Dee, dee, dee. But I know that was also, you know, a popular song type in the 87, 88 stretch. Yep. Uh, where would you have this just gut reaction? Initially? I think it's pretty high. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I would. I was uh, just when you gave me the format, I was debating between diamond and double platinum for this one. So I, I definitely I think it's in the upper in, half. I got three in my head. I'd already have above it. So I think it's okay. double platinum for me out of the gate. Okay. We can debate it, but let's I think it's slide it. Let's okay. slide it there. All right. All right. What do we got next? Coco beware, Paul driver. <laughs> the love now, song of the album. I believe that uh, oh, Bird, no. Bird, Bird is the better of the Coco songs. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm confident in that. Uh, Pile Driver is yeah. good, but it's not a great – it's a good song, but it's not a great wrestling theme. I'll say that. Like it's – No. You're coming out to Pile Driver is no good. Bird, Bird, Bird is much more exciting uh, when he comes out. So, I don't know. It feels like an argument. <laughs> feels just like Pile Driver. I mean, Pile Driver isn't used very long either. Like it feels like, uh, yeah, I think he's got bird by 89. Yeah. I think it's maybe like a year and a half or so. It's, it feels a, a quick, pretty quick year run for a uh, pile driver. Uh, I mean, it's not cutting room floor though. So, what are you thinking? Like platinum or gold? Platinum or... for now. I think it's platinum for okay. now. So, I think we got a couple okay. of goals. 
I think we I think we got three that are gonna kind of fill at the bottom <laughs> okay. here. Um, all right. All right. What do we got next? Uh, honky tonk man. Now this one right. I love. Yeah. yeah. This to me is a diamond. Um, okay. I I think it's it's got it's potentially a go, uh, the goat the all time classic of this album, but I I think to me personally it's third of the big three. Okay. Yeah, this was the one I was debating with girls and cars between okay. my third and fourth spot. I mean, the top two are pretty obvious, um, and they're actually coming up next. Three, four, and five on this album just bang. Unbelievable. What a run. Thing. Yeah. The, the uh, top yeah. five really are great. I mean, like, yeah, it drops yeah. kind of quick after that, but the top five are really <laughs> yeah. good. Yeah, this is one that if you had the cassette tape, you were only listening to a side A on. Yes. Um, but yeah, yeah, uh, I'm cool, cocky, bat. That's great. Uh, ne- next is Demolition. In one second, I would have Honky over Strike Force mainly because I think it's the more identifiable theme. Like, it has mm-hmm. a much longer run. You know, a honk, I'm a honk, honk, man. Like, that's like everyone knows that. I think Girls in Cars, you got to kind of be a fan to know. Whereas I think I think these top three are like identifiable when you hear the song. You just well, yeah, watch wrestling as just, a kid, you know? just longevity too. Yeah, I mean, like in '97, he's coming out the honky tonk man, right? Yep. And you know, honk. They tried to do the honka 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 love, and that like died quick. So it's no. like that tells you that this song was was the song with um, uh, Greg Valentine looking like Elvis, reminded <laughs> yes. Mary Tyler Moore, Boxcar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's just do the next two. We get demolition. Yeah. We get Jive Soul Bro. Jive Soul Bro. Okay. Do you want to save this battle for the end? We know they're going top two. Yeah. Let's right, put, them, yeah. put them both at all-time classic, and we know okay. one's dropping one's down staying. and dying. Okay. All right. yeah. We know it's a battle battle to the death there for this one. Okay. Which I don't right, necessarily have hot, hot takes on either one of those, but we'll get to it. Uh, next is Jimmy Hart, Crank It Up. Um, I like this song. It doesn't get a lot of run. It's uh ends up being used like the young stallions use it, and then it kind of becomes the house show like undercard job guy song. Any if you ever go into any house show in the 80s and 90s, like whoever your opening guy is, whether it's a Jim Powers, a Paul Diamond, you know, whoever that type of dude uh is gonna come out to crank it up. Like they were just they were, that was like their go-to undercard song. They don't really ever give it to anyone beyond that. I think the stallions are probably the biggest names that use it during that run. Um, I do think it's like a not a bad wrestling song. Yeah, I mean it's okay for me. I listened to it today. I wasn't too familiar with it actually, just on name. And then when I heard it, um, for me it's probably a gold. Yeah, yeah. I just well, let's see. Yeah, we'll put in gold for now. I just think we get a couple of potential down there. Well, maybe not actually. Yeah, all right, we'll put in gold. All right, what's next? Next is Hillbilly Jim and Gertrude waking up alone. <laughs> Which, uh, I mean, I'm willing to leave this one on the cutting room floor. (laughs) Yeah, I think there's one other contender with it. Um, I I like it a little bit just because it's so absurd to have Hillbilly Jim singing like a country (laughs) love ballad. Uh, it's like a a Willie Nelson type vibe, but I mean. This is another, like, you know, we talked about how much we hate the network dub over right. Don't Go Messing with a Country Boy. But again, that was an iconic theme. Oh, yeah, for sure. And but to replace that. that. No, they don't replace it, though. I don't think he ever uses this as like a um, theme. I think he just did it for this album. This this just feels like a Hulkster in heaven. 
you know, trying to <laughs> conjure up some tears over a, uh, I, I don't know. I, it, it was pretty bad. It was poor. It's off a little like, uh, you think it may be like a heavy, like a rock, like a metal ballad kind of song at first? And then it, well, sideways. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, Hibbilla Jim comes in later, too. Like, I think he's oh, yeah. the second verse. So. Oh, sweet home. I, I probably know this whole song, though. Like, I mean, I listen to the hell out of this album. This song got a lot of run for me as a kid with this. Like, that's why I have like, a little nostalgia for it, because it's so fucking stupid that we listen to the crap out of it. Here we yeah. go. It comes suddenly coming in out of the darkness. Mm-hmm. Another night, another fight. It seems it never ends. Um, I'm Waking go up alone is pretty bleak. Just yeah, the title it is. It, well, if you listen to the story he tells, it's about yeah. the loneliness of the road, about yeah. being a wrestler and what it's like. Um, I'm going gold. I'm going gold. I don't think All it's right. that bad. I think All I think right. it tells a nice story. There was All one. Right. All right, next is stand back. Stand back. Um, so. <laughs> I'm willing to go double platinum on this. Where are you at? Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, it's tough for me to disassociate the song with the video of him yeah. performing it. Um, yeah. Just because that's so ridiculous. But, yeah, I mean, it's I'd, I'd say of the second half, to me, it's the most iconic of the last five songs on this album. Yeah. So I'm good with everyone knows it. Like and, and they brought it back during like the DX feud, right? They played it to yeah. kind of mock him. The the I mean the, the slamy's performance is absurd. Like it's <laughs> it's 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 like your preview to the insanity of what Mr. McMahon would be eventually with that. Um this is grandiose nonsense. I think I'd put it above pile driver. I think I would have it there in, in platinum above pile driver. Uh, or what about double platinum? Oh double, yeah, yeah. Okay, double, yes. But behind uh, girls and cars, though. Yeah, I think it's behind girls and cars. Okay, all right. So stand back, double platinum. I like it. Uh, all right. All right. Here, yeah, here may be the one that you're wanting to put on the cutting room floor. No, it's not. Oh. I think the finale. I think the finale is kind of lame. Oh, I like the finale. So we're this will be our only biggest do. debate. Yeah, do. I was ready to go platinum on that bad boy. All right. Uh, Rock and Roll Hoochie is tough because again, I feel like it's so identifiable with Gene. Um, oh, I I associate Tutti Fruity. Yeah, I guess that's Gene. more. Yeah, I just to me like Gene's voice with Derringer didn't yeah. um, work. Let's get that uh, stupid costume on. Oh, it feels dirty leaving that on the floor though. Well, I mean, I'm still willing to put waking up alone. No, that's staying. <laughs> that's staying. Oh I think I would drop crank it up before I drop waking up alone. Oh man! I mean, well, crank, crank it up, up is like they used it for jobbers. That tells you what they thought of it. You well, know? you. I mean, I'm I'm not partial to crank it up either. Not crank it up. All right, crank it okay. up. Jobs. Okay. I think we go waking up alone, and then I, I'd go rock roll hojiku, then waking up alone. Okay. I think it's just iconic to Gene. Like I think you think of tutti frutti. Rock and Roll Jiku, those are your gene of the 80s, like being bombastic and performing. And I think it's one of the songs you think of with this album when you're just like a gene. Um, I just, I don't think we can drop it. I think Crank It Up is probably the most random song on the album that like you don't think of with this. <clears throat> All right. So you want to have what I'm going to, uh, 
whatever it's called. What they do to you? What's it called? If you only knew. Yeah, if you only knew. Now, th- now this one is tough too, though, because again, like you're comparing it to what you had before. So, right. I mean, Land of a Thousand Dances oh, yeah. was the variety, and I mean that video almost like, like if you're wanting to put wrestling in the mid '80s in a time mm-hmm. capsule. You could almost say, like, let's put this video, Land of a Thousand Dances, in. Oh, yeah. And say, here yeah. you go. You get most of your, you know, you're missing Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes. But right. for American wrestling, you got everybody there. Um, this one's certainly not that. But I, I found it to be a good kind of variety song. I, I thought this was objectively good when I listened to it today. It got It got two spins. For me today, as I uh, did my crash course, so it was the only one that I wasn't as you know like familiar with, right? Um, if you only knew. they do harmonize it well. Mm-hmm. Like to me, that's a better yeah. Jimmy performance than Crank It Up. Like I think, like yep. he really gets everyone on the same page. And if you only knew, yeah, I'm coming around on it. Right. Um, I guess the only argument is would you have it below or higher than Rock and Roll Hoochie because I think Rock and Roll Hoochie is more iconic to this album than if okay, we can flip those. I don't. I would have that above Hillbilly, which is fine. Like to me, if you look at it now, whatever our top ends up being is fine. We have the two diamond, the top three are the icons. Yeah, double platinum are the ones you remember fondly from the album. Girls and Cars I, and stand back, and then you yeah, have- I mean. I- like, if you're a wrestling fan that has any yeah. knowledge of the 80s, you remember the double platinum. Yeah. And then I think platinum is where you get, like, the hardcore, you know, like, from there below, it's like, all right, yeah, I remember. You know, it's one of those. It's like you have to yeah. kind of jog your memory. I think platinum are the ones you really would remember more than those gold. Like, I think if you if you pressed your mind, if you had a trivia game and you said, okay, name me as many tracks from Piledriver as possible – I think you're getting Pile Driver and you're getting Rock and Roll Hochiku. I think those bottom three are the ones you probably may struggle to get um, if it gets to that. So that, that's kind of how I look at those. Crank it up to me is the most forgettable. So I like what we have here. All right, let's get to our debate for, for the number one slot. All right, gut. Just give me your gut. No t- no thinking, no talking. Gut. Uh, demolition, number one. <sighs> See, mine's Jive Soul, bro. <laughs> I just... So I think to me it's more like song versus theme. Yeah. I think Demolition's a better wrestling theme. I think Job So Bro is a better song. Um see my memory when I picture the whole package, like I picture slick Akeem dancing. Like it just if it, it's so iconic with that song versus like demolition you see them come out and yeah you hear the song but like i don't know it's just i don't know how to explain it it's just like the the vision of the whole package like jive soul bro fits so well um i think demolition would have been as badass I, this sounds sacrilegious without that it's still like to me they're tied but if we have to pick one we have to pick one um we don't have to i guess it's our our game but um <laughs> have to. Hold on. Have to. i don't know i think demolition could have been just as awesome with any rock trip but I don't think they were. They weren't when they didn't have the theme. Yeah. Like they don't really come into it till they get the theme. The only yeah. problem I have with Jive So Bro is it's it is Slick's thing. 
So he's yeah. the constant. But, you know, he's bringing out Butch Reed to it. He's bringing out a king. Big boss, man. It doesn't, I mean, yeah. big boss man's not a jive. So, you know, I understand the theme itself, but I don't necessarily know it fit the package mm. of everybody he was presenting. But that's where, again, it's song versus theme. I mean, if you want to say, like, Jive So Bro is a better song, and that's what we want to base this on, yeah. I'm fine with that. It's well, just look for at me, every, like, everything else we've done. I mean, most of these aren't themes, right? So we're kind of doing it by song, just looking at it, because half of them aren't. aren't there's only really only five themes on here, and Power Drivers are short, but the rest really – I mean, Crank It Up, I guess, is a theme, but – I don't think you would have even remembered if I didn't say it. Would you have known those the, the young stallions? Uh, vaguely, yes. Right. Only because I've been watching too many house shows from there. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm fine with jobs. So, I mean, these again, these are like where you have two of the top yeah. five, six of all time. So, right. it's on one album, which shows you how great the album is. All right, I'm going demolition above honky. If anyone wants to go to war with us in the comments, let us know. I mean, I'm willing. I could probably wake up tomorrow and change my mind, but. I just think Jive Soul Bro is so iconic, so iconic. And it's one, if I had to pick one to listen to over and over, like that's the one. Like if you give me one song in this album that I can listen to forever, like it's that one. And I don't think it's close for me on that. All right. We're going to go. We've already been here a while. Check out Wrestling Warzone every other Monday. Check out the rest of this Credoso. If you're watching on video, this is it. But if you go and you listen to the whole audio of this episode on our podcast feed on North South Connection, we'll talk to you. Uh, no, so fans, this is Johnny C here, continuing this edition of Cronoso Monthly. And I gotta tell you, I've been a wrestling fan for a long time, and I feel like I know a lot about the sport of kings, okay? But I'm not so arrogant that I cannot possibly admit when I learn something. And I learned something today that I can't unlearn, and I saw something today that I cannot unsee, and you and I are going to discuss it right now. Well, I'm going to discuss it, you're going to listen. So I'm coming at you from September 18th, 1988, in the Meadowlands in New Jersey. Uh, I guess before they had the pro wrestling tax that Governor Christine Whitman, God, is that her name, uh, removed uh, when the, you opened the key thing to find the car was Sable and the number was three? Why do I know these random things about 1997 SummerSlam? Okay, but I can't hold down a steady job. Well, I can hold down a steady job, but it was for comedic effect. So, Hulk Hogan is in, he's in an interesting part of his ongoing narrative that I actually know nothing about. I didn't think there was any narrative to Hulk Hogan right now, except being one half of the Mega Powers. But he's been going around on the like syndicated TV uh, screens and, and doing house show vignettes and stuff like that, talking about marching towards the World Wrestling Federation Championship. Not acknowledging that his best friend, the Macho Man, is the champion. He's just trying to march to once again become worthy of the WWF Championship. It's so weird, because he keeps talking about wanting to get back to it, but never dealing with the reality that he would have to battle his friend, the Macho Man, to do so. 
I, I just don't understand it. But in the Meadowlands, and this is a televised Meadowlands show, I think probably done on a local network like MSG or something like that. I think that's what it was. I only watched briefly. And I've not seen a ton of content like this. So I apologize for not knowing all the ins and outs about it. But there was a Kurt Henning match right before this that Kurt Henning won. And Bad News Brown enters the ring like it's a modern edition of professional wrestling. And he's fully dressed. He's got like on black leggings and a tight black shirt. He looks like a mom taking a selfie for Instagram, which but that's fine. He does his patented raise the fist in the air pose, the best version of which still occurs at the 1999 Royal Rumble after he pulls Rowdy Roddy Piper over the top rope and then lifts his fist and goes, Arr! still my favorite. Um, what does he do, though? He cuts a little bit of a promo, okay? Um, there's a sign in the audience that just says, You ugly? With three exclamation points, and they cut to it. Bad News Brown says he's got one thing to say. He's like, Don't get excited. Don't get excited. Uh, in just a short while, I'm going to beat up your hero, okay? I'm going to beat him up just like the 49ers did to the Giants this afternoon. And then he drops the mic and leaves. So he literally comes down and cuts a insert local city here heel promo. It's so cut dry and basic that I kind of love it. Like it's one of those things that's like it's so ridiculous it's become funny. Like, I don't know, you just, it's a lost art doing this sort of thing and getting actual organic heat. Because it's a time where the crowd sort of wasn't in on it. So they were like, hey, he's making fun of our local sports team. Later, though, it is time for this encounter to take place. And the reason I say encounter is because uh, this show is hosted by Sean Mooney, uh, Lord Alfred Hayes, and superstar Billy Graham. Just like goddamn WrestleFest was. It's time for this matchup in the middle of this show, and Lord Al is in the back with Hulk Hogan, ladies and gentlemen. Hulk Hogan for a pre-match interview. Now, Lord Al's in overdrive, being like, this is the greatest athlete I've seen in all of sports. Uh, and, and tonight you're taking on quite a nasty character, Hawkster. The undefeated Bad News Brown. And Hawkster, what would you like to say about this while looking directly into the camera? Hulk Hogan emerges, looks directly into the camera, and oh my god! Ladies and gentlemen, Hulk Hogan is wearing a helmet upon his head. According to my resources and sources, this is what's known as the Hulk Hogan War Bonnet. It is a helmet that's supposed to look like a, a, like a Trojan helmet, like Achilles War in that movie Troy with Nathan Jones, okay? And kind of looks like the helmet that Ogre from Revenge of the Nerds wears when he's on the fucking Trojan horse and they go, Ogre! Except Ogre's Trojan hat was a little cool. This Hulk Hogan war bonnet Trojan hat, ladies and gentlemen, instead of having a sweet fin, it's got a goddamn fist making the fin. Okay? It looks like a construction helmet. It looks like the YMCA helmet from the Village People. Except the Village People one looks a lot cooler than this one. To top it all, to top it all off, because the Trojans often wore like cape style maneuvers. Yeah, I said cape style maneuvers. Deal with it. Into battle. 
He's wearing a California State license plate that reads Hulkster backwards on his back like it's a cape. Like, I'm going to fly, Lord Al. Look at this. Here I go. Woo, vroom, vroom. You know, you know, Lord Al, when I'm up there in the sky, dude, taking on the soups. What up, Superman? Or I'm hanging out with my buddy Homelander, dude. If I go a little too fast flying around, you know, the police up there, they like me to have a license plate on, dude. So I just wear it like a cape, like, vroom. Apparently. And, and I got to say this, as I, and I mean this. Like, I admire, Hulk Hogan, the conversion from man to merchandise. Like, I admit that as someone who really enjoys shady practices to sell toys and shit like that. Like, for example, uh, the movie Batman and Robin isn't, like, the greatest artistic achievement, although there's some beautiful sets. But I do love the just bastardization of everything to, like, sell toys in a certain way. Like, I love the... The, like, Vince McMahonness of it all, the, like, pure evil capitalist nature of, like, destroying art for business purposes. Like, it makes me chuckle. So, but apparently this war bonnet dude was something that Hogan was trying to get over so he could, they could sell it before Christmas. <laughs> like, that's the whole reason this is a thing. Now, hey, that's the whole reason everything in wrestling is a thing, okay? But I just, I love this idea because the Hulkster is such a shyster. He's always walking around telling tales about, well, you know, dude, uh, you know, uh, if I wouldn't have been out saving a kid from a burning tree uh, in a bus crash, dude, uh, I would have got the call for the George Foreman grill, dude. But, you know, I just had to go rescue that kitten, dude. Thought you said I was a kid, Hulkster. Hey, you shut up. <laughs> oh, I just can't. I can't push this gag any further, but... He, he cuts a very typical Hulk Hogan promo until he stops his motion dead to talk about the Hulk Hogan war bonnet, dude. And, you know, all who see it know that they got, uh, they're going to get uh, knocked back in their pursuit for the WWF championship, dude. Um, I, I just, I, I love this. He continues, you know, Lord Al, you could count your lovers, you can count your friends, but you can't count the victims of Hulkamania on the way to the WWF championship, dude. Again, he's just on this quest for the championship. Like, it's a concept that has to be reached, like Nirvana. Like, you know, Mean Gene, I've been studying a lot, reading some Confucius books and stuff, and I'm trying to get to Nirvana, dude. You know what? I'm trying to find the source, brother. I'm trying to find the Machine City and the Matrix, dude. I'm trying to kind of find that untouchable thing, dude, that can't be touched, but we need to get there. It's in all the pictures, brother. It's like the midi-chlorians are telling me I gotta get to the WWF championship, dude. And 20,000 people out there in the Meadowlands, dude. They're gonna see me in this undefeated streak. That bad news brown, brother. It's gonna be like Rome. Thumbs up, thumbs down. And, and, and that's the end of that, okay? So, bad news brown is already awaiting a Hulk Hogan in the ring. Hulk Hogan's music hits, and he's in the arena. He finally emerges into view, and he's fully fucking bonneted still. Superstar Billy Graham sort of whispers to himself, but also tries to act like he's impressed. He's like, oh, look, looking like a Trojan when he's got on the wall bonnet. His license plate cape swings and dangles. Uh, Superstar Billy Graham accidentally writes Rob Van Dam's future theme song, talking about the Hulkster. Look at that, Sean Moody. He's one of a kind. 
One of a kind. Oh, man, look at that Hulkster. He's one of a kind. One of a kind. And the crowd is wild for Hogan. And Hogan's not intimidated by the undefeated streak of a bad news Brown because he chases Brown right out of the ring immediately and rips his T-shirt while still wearing the warp on it. Now, what we have in the ring is the juxtaposition of Bad News Brown saying that Hulk Hogan was not here to fight him. And I'll tell you, the opposite has occurred. Hogan poses. Superstar Billy Cram says, Hey, he's wearing the war bonnet. Right there, man, he's got it on. Well, the appearance of the war bonnet is shaking. Bad News Brown, it appears. Uh, Superstar Billy Graham is asked to hold the war bonnet and the license plate cape as Hogan gives it to him at ringside. Now, the referee calls Bad News and Hulk to the center, and Bad News Brown immediately demands that the referee double-check Hulk Hogan for any illegal contraband. Hogan does, but, as my friend Admiral Akbar would say, It's a trap! Bad News strikes, and the bell rings, but Hogan is already down on the ground going, Rah, rough, 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 rough. Bad News Brown chokes Hogan with his boot. He then chokes Hogan with his own remnants of his t-shirt. He then strikes him with the remnants of the Hulkamania t-shirt. Bad News Brown hits multiple measured strikes. Body misses an elbow and Hulk is back up and hitting with fists. Uh, Bad News Brown heads to the outside for a timeout, but Hulk Hogan pursues and punches him just one time. He, Hogan gets back in the ring like, come on back in the ring, Bad News dude. Come on. Bad News Brown stands on the apron like, get back! And Hogan brings him in the hard way. Uh, Hogan then counters, or excuse me, encounters Bad News against the ropes and goes, Rasa, Rasa, and punches him. Hulk Hogan Irish whips Bad News Brown into the ropes and yells, Reverse! Strangely, the Irish whip is reversed and both men shoulder tackle. Hogan Hits a running elbow drop as Bad News is down. He hits a second elbow drop. He goes to hit a third, but instead he does the boot scratch across the face. Oh, look at him. He has such awareness of the ring. Bad News Brown, though, gets back in control with a headbutt and a right hand. Bad News Brown charges into the corner, but eats a big foot. He then gets a chomic dropped, and Hulkster drops an elbow, but oh no! Bad News Brown has rolled out of the way of this elbow strike. But upon further review, Bad News Brown did not roll away quick enough, and Hogan made impact when he was not expecting to. So Hogan sells this. And the announcers try to cover for this botch as well. Um, he hunt us back on the landing. He may have some cracked some ribs right there, Lord. Bad News Brown looks like he's the one with the ring presence now. As he punches Hogan in the kidney, he starts to tell the New Jersey-based crowd that this one is almost over and in the history books, but a big Hulk Hogan chant starts. Uh, Hulk Hogan gets headbutted, and Hulk Hogan is now on his knees. And now, strike that, he's all the way down. Hulk Hogan is in bad shape, folks. Bad News Brown continues to control this match using various methods of healness. Uh, he body slams Hulk Hogan, which is quite nice to see. And then after this body slam, ladies and gentlemen, Hulk Hogan... Oh, God, Hulk Hogan. Bad News Brown bounces off the ropes and does a leg drop! Bad News Brown is not here to fuck around. What do you think this does to the psyche of a Hulk Hogan? Bad News Brown covers after the leg drop, and Hogan immediately kicks out at one. Like, no way, dude. I'm the only one that's got a good leg drop, brother. 
Bad News Brown hits a side rush at Lake Sweep. Superstar Billy Graham is confused. What does that do? What does that do, Sean Moody? Like, Superstar Billy Graham, if he'd never seen a side rush at Lake Sweep before. Bad News covers, but Hogan has his foot on the rope. There's a corner whip. It's reversed by Hogan. But Bad News Brown fires out of the corner with his own clothesline from Harlem. Bad News Brown wasting a little bit of time now walking around the ring. He finally picks up Hulk Hogan to a vertical base. Hogan is in the center of the ring, dazed like he's awaiting a Mortal Kombat fatality. Bad News bounces off the ropes. Goes for the patented Ghetto Blaster! I love that move. I love the name. But Hogan ducks the blasting of the ghetto! Bad News Brown looks at Hogan with big eyes. Hogan is on his knees going, oof, oof, oof. We do the whole Hulk up spiel. I mean... You know what this is. Interesting wrinkle to the Hulk Hogan comeback, hulking up spiel. Bad News Brown goes for a clothesline. Hogan ducks and hits a running knee strike. Shades on a booty man? Uh, he then does the Bad News Brown fist in the air. The He corner whips a clothesline from Venice Beach, California. A corner whip. Bad News Brown charges out. Hogan ducks, but oh no! Bad News Brown has accidentally clotheslined the referee. Uh, Bad News yells, Jesus Christ! Hulk Hogan, though, seeing that the referee is down, grabs Bad News Brown by the beard and hits a Bugs Bunny wind-up punch. Hogan then goes over to the ref like, Oh, dude! Brother, you okay, man? Bad News Brown heads to the outside and takes the war bonnet from superstar Billy Graham. He enters the ring and hits Hulk Hogan in the ribs with the war bonnet. He hits him with the fist, the pointy part, so you know it hurts. Ladies and gentlemen, the referee is still down, and Bad News Brown puts on the fucking war bonnet. But wait! Hulk Hogan goes for the eyes as it's not protected by the war bonnet. Hulk Hogan takes the war bonnet back. Now he's wearing it. Hulk Hogan headbutts Bad News Brown wearing the fucking war bonnet. Hogan hits the ropes. He's still wearing the bonnet. Hogan jumps for the leg drop, still wearing the bonnet. It's quite a visual. Hogan hits the leg drop, covers, still wearing the war bonnet. One, two, three. Folks, Bad News Brown is no longer undefeated. Sean Moody says, and I quote, The streak has ended. Hogan gets the trusty license plate. Lord Al looks at Hogan wearing the war bonnet with the license plate around his neck and says, quote, Hogan is immaculate. Hogan poses for a long time. We cut to the crowd at one point. I see the two weeks lady from Total Recall. Deal with that reference. And that's that, really. But, you know, here's something I learned from all of this. I learned that Hulk Hogan, uh, Bad News Brown didn't want to lose to Hogan uh, cleanly, so that's another reason why the war bonnet has come into existence. Like, I just, again, I admire the tenacity to, to take the American people for a ride by selling them this piece of garbage. Like, I too. Like, I love the idea of Hogan getting rich off of this because more power to you if people are stupid enough to buy this war bonnet. I kind of want one now. But I've never seen it. Like, I, I I don't know how I've lived my life avoiding the Hulk Hogan war bonnet. But, folks, it's real. It happened. And, again, I know, and I know that, more importantly, 
this quest to obtain the WWF Championship, whatever that means, is the important thing that needs to be talked about here from a wrestling narrative perspective. But how can I possibly not focus on the war bonnet? But that's the end. Uh... Uh, this, of course, was Johnny C. I hope you enjoyed your time. Uh, listen to the Multiverse of Fabulousness here on the North-South Connection Podcast Network. Watch it on YouTube. And just a quick shout-out to my personal podcast feed, uh, the new TNN, uh, where we just, not too long ago, released an episode on something. What did we do? Oh, we released the latest edition of WCW Must Die, uh, which is the fallout of the Great American Bash 2000. Uh, where Goldberg has become the thug life. That's the thug life, Tony. This is Scott Hudson. And yeah, I, I at one time tried to get over calling Goldberg the thug life. I'm Johnny C. And a winner is you. Hello, Cronoso. Jumbleye Jake here. Um, going to be talking. Uh, interesting matchup here. Uh, better. I, I usually cover crappy matches on this one, uh, on this pod, but... This is actually a pretty fun one. So I have Barry Horowitz versus the Blue Blazer, a.k.a. Owen Hart, um, from the Meadowlands House Show on September 11th, 1988. So, uh, cool matchup here. Uh, Blazer, at this point, it's kind of fun uh, in this era just to see him. Um, He's very unique, as I'll get to in this sort of setting. But um, um, you have Barry in the lime green tights, which is uh, the lime green short trunks. So um, that entertained me quite a bit. Uh, but the commentary team, is, uh, I'm sure has been covered, is quite interesting. You have Lord Al, uh, Billy Graham, and Sean Mooney. So uh, interesting all around here. But uh, you got a blazer coming out. He's got the... Uh, so what's interesting about him is he's busting out this kind of semi lucha stuff. I wouldn't say, I'm not saying he's, you know, Ray Mysterio showing up on nitro, um, in the mid nineties, but for 1988 WWF, it is very, uh, different than what you would normally see. Like he's busting out the springboards, uh, and, uh, Billy Graham's mind is just blown. Who he's like, he's like, who is this man? Where is he from? What is he doing? I've never seen this in my entire life. So, um, Barry has no answer for these uh, this unorthodox, at least by his measure, uh, offense. So he's getting frustrated. A lot of complaining to the crowd. Uh, Barry very vocal in here. Definitely playing the heel role. Um, he starts complaining about a pulled muscle, um, which, uh, of course, Billy Graham has to uh, troll him, saying that it's not a pulled muscle because he doesn't have enough muscles to be pulled. So Lord Al says, uh, maybe it was just more of a sinew. So uh, he pulled a sinew here. Uh, Blazer is the only awkward thing he does here is like, uh, he's trying to get the crowd f- fired up and he does like this weird kind of spastic clap thing. That was a little awkward, but, uh, a lot of crisp arm drags from blue blazer. Um, Barry finally takes over after, uh, you know, blazer carried the first part of this match. He finally takes over and, uh, it's not too bad. I gotta say it, he's a little stally, but it's not bad. He hits a nice little underhook suplex. He's yelling at the crowd, healing it up. Um, the Blue Blazer's speed stands out a lot in this era. Like, he just seems to be moving faster than you would normally think of someone moving in, like, a, uh, you know, 80s WWF match. So, it's kind of fun to see. Like, just even when he runs the ropes, it just seems like it's a step quicker than what we're used to seeing. So, that's kind of fun. Uh, nice little body press out of the corner by the Blue Blazer. Barry cuts him off again, though. Um, but kind of the story of the match here is that even when Barry gets an advantage, he, he runs his mouth too much and literally pats himself on the back. Uh, so it's, 
uh, it's fun to see like the Barry Horowitz here as he's kind of more in heel mode and how the eventually become like a sort of he would keep doing that, but it would be kind of a face because he's such a loser that like people kind of had sympathy for him with the pat on the back thing. Uh, but anyway, it kind of ends up costing the match as Blazer takes over because Barry's doing a little bit too much yakking and uh, he ends up doing a uh, like a top rope splash, uh, very similar to like the Jimmy Snooker splash and then uh, and takes the win here and a nice little fun 10 minute match. I have to say I was pretty entertained by this. They traded momentum quite a bit. I thought it ebbed and flowed really well between Blazer kind of doing his quick offense and then Barry getting a little bit of his heelish to slow it down. But they never let like they never slowed it down too much, but just enough to where when Blazer would come back, it would kind of fire up the crowd. So um or at least, honestly, I don't know if the crowd was that fired up for this, but it fired me up. I was excited watching it. So, uh, you know, this is a fun match. I would recommend going check it out. It's a, again, I like watching any of this Blue Blazer stuff from the 80s in, in WWF just to kind of get a glimpse of this different style because it's just a, it's a lot different than what you're, I probably said different about 400 times in this like five minutes I'm speaking, but um, for good reason because he, he's fun to watch in this setting. And it, it really stands out. So go and check it out. It's maybe the first match I've covered on Cardoso that's actually good. So with that, I think you should probably listen to it. If you want to catch me, um, I'm on the Ruthless Aggressive podcast every other Tuesday covering the Ruthless Aggression era. I'll see you next time for Cardoso. We cut to Madison Square Garden, September 29th, 1988, as Andre the Giant challenges for the World Wrestling Federation Championship against Randy Macho Man Savage. This is one month after SummerSlam 1988, where the Mega Powers beat the Mega Bucks, and this is six months after Randy Savage won the championship at WrestleMania 4. 18 months after Andre the Giant should have won the championship at WrestleMania 3, as the Mega Powers and the Mega Bucks feud is coming to an end. We get a battle of David and Goliath-esque proportions. I guess Randy would be the David here, Andre the Goliath, of course. David and Goliath has kind of become a thing of an underdog winning. But theologically, David was from Jerusalem and followed the traditional Bible's God, the Catholic God, while Goliath was a Philistine and followed a different set of deities. And in the Bible, Goliath didn't lose because David was cunning or clever. He lost because he didn't have the power of the true Christian God behind him and followed false deities being the Philistine deity. This kind of strips David of his autonomy in his own story and shows kind of a lack of free will and just says he won because he followed God and it was God's will. Uh, Randy is definitely not that because he's a man with more personal agency than any wrestler before or after him pretty much in character and in real life it seems. But Andre might be the victim, much like Goliath, of following false prophets. His rage has allowed him to be weaponized by guys like Bobby Heenan and Ted DiBiase to fight their battles almost. They give Andre just enough chance for revenge against guys like Hogan and Randy, a chance to right the wrongs of being overlooked like he feels like has been happening for years now. And maybe this is why Andre never truly realized a lot of his goals in the WWF after turning to the dark side, never really held the championship. And as we're going to see tonight, that still is driving him crazy. So now what is his purpose on Earth? What will satisfy Andre the Giant now? So it's an interesting way to look at the match and an interesting way to look at this particular David versus Goliath encounter. But maybe not. We start the match, of course, with Andre coming out first, being led to the ring by Bobby the Brain Heenan. Silent as far as music. But the boos of the Madison Square Garden crowd are thunderous and echo throughout the garden. We see Andre duck through the halls of Madison Square Garden, just showing that he is a true behemoth, too big for this mortal world. Andre, as he goes to the ring, says, and next time don't laugh at me to somebody who is next to the curtain but just off camera. 
I do not know the origin of this or who he was talking about that to, but god damn it, I really want to know now. Andre cuts such an imposing figure as the camera points up at him with the lights of Madison Square Garden looming above him. Uh, always such an incredible shot here to truly show the, the colossal nature of Andre the Giant. The crowd erupts when they hear Randy's coming out next with Liz. And they have kind of matching gear here, showing their unity once again. As Liz is in a black and silver dress, Randy is in a black and silver robe. A subtle little thing showing that they are on the same page and have been for a little bit of a while here. Andre is emotionless as Randy steps into the ring. Andre is so good at being still and peering into an opponent. It's a really funny moment where Andre just is sprinkling glitter all over Bobby Heenan for some reason, and it's really great. I don't know if he was fucking with him, just as a fucking joke. As Bobby's about to get out of the ring, Randy charges at him, sprints at him, just to show Randy Savage is the ultimate kinetic energy machine, just always waiting to strike, always waiting to attack. Bobby goes near Wiz, and Randy, his greatest Achilles heel, is that he has to be aware of Elizabeth at all times. He runs out of the ring, darts out of the ring, but he's so fucking fast that it's almost like it definitely distracts him mentally, but he's so quick he's back in the ring immediately and squaring off with the angry giant again. Bobby does not stop, though, and once again, on the other side of the ring, Randy has to go and make sure that Bobby's not fucking with Liz. Andre does not strike at Randy, because Randy is so good at keeping his head on a swivel. Keep staring at Andre. He doesn't turn his back on him quite yet. Once again, on the other side, Heenan has done a full round around the ring, and what happens here? We see Pat Patterson telling Bobby Heenan, calm the fuck down. The crowd erupts, thinking he might get thrown out. Bobby keeps at it, and Bobby goes around to the other side. Looks like Andre's about to go outside the ring. This time as bobby gets right to where the alleyway is the famous hard camera alleyway of msg and pat patterson is kicking him out the crowd is losing their mind pat patterson talks to the ref patterson sending bobby to the back bobby is adamant and will not stop jaw jacking pat patterson grabs bobby heenan bobby looks like he might strike him howard finkel gets on the mic and says unless bobby leaves the ring area immediately Andre will lose the match and B will be fined and suspended. We get a 10 count. The crowd is losing their goddamn mind. Heenan is apoplectic. The ref is counting to 10. The crowd is counting to 10. Andre is like, what the fuck is happening? Get the fuck out of here or else I'm going to lose. And Bobby finally complies. Patterson escorts him down the aisle and he is out. Andre is super pissed about the fact that Heenan has been thrown out. Get a moment where the ref is talking to Wiz here. He's throwing Wiz out. Lord Alfred Hayes, always the piece of shit. He was saying, he thinks fair is fair. And all of a sudden, Andre the Giant comes from behind Randy Savage and gets the massive double-handed chokehold that has incapacitated countless men. Randy almost fights back but takes a huge headbutt. Big-ass Andre punch to the face and Savage is rocked into the corner. Savage fights back with a kick to the gut that barely phases Andre. Savage is in the corner. Andre, big headbutt, knocks Randy to the floor. Wiz goes and checks on her man Randy Savage here. While Andre is still saying that Wiz should be thrown the fuck out. <laughs> Savage goes to get back in the ring and Andre just kicks him right in the fucking chest. Savage can't get in. Once again, Savage gets under the ropes into the ring. Andre kicks him in the chest again. Another shot and Randy's on the outside. Randy on the outside of the ring. Andre pulls his head over the top rope exposing Randy's chest and Andre down with a forearm the size of a fucking oak tree. A second one flips Randy Savage into the ring upside down landing. Andre is still very concerned with Liz here. A punch to the face of Randy and he is on Dream Street. (laughs) Every time Randy's backed into a corner, he keeps trying to kick Andre in the gut, but it's really to no avail. 
It's kind of the idea of, uh, in a David and Goliath situation, you look for the hard ways to make little moves against the destructiveness of a, a giant like Andre. You chip away, but it's really doing nothing. Choke holds by Andre again, just sucking the energy out of Randy. Andre misses a big boot after he throws Randy in, and what happens? Randy bounds off the ropes with a velocity and ferocity, catches him with a clothesline. Andre's close enough to the ropes that he falls backwards and lands Andre style in the ropes. This is one of the downsides of being a giant is when you fall, your your arms will perfectly and magically just go through the top and the middle rope and it'll catch you. This happens to Andre a lot, but it's just physics because that's just his, that's the negative of being such a massive human being. Andre is screaming at the referee, get me the fuck out of here. The referee is kind of like, I don't know what to do here. Randy runs up and just starts choking Andre, a little uh, choke for choke. The referee finally starts trying to get Andre out of here. Andre's really cinched in there. Randy says, get the fuck off him, pushes him away. Randy with his beautiful overhand, over the top, right hands to uh, Andre's fucking forehead. Brutal. Andre is in massive pain here. When you're crucified, you die from suffocation. And Andre's arms are up in the air now, totally exacerbating the trauma to Andre's lungs and completely depriving him of oxygen. Randy Savage probably realizes this and goes for the choke. A lot of biblical stuff going on here. Let's not mention the gold that's laying on the ground as Randy tries to uh, attack Andre that uh, Andre had dumped on the head of Heenan before. Randy keeps kicking Andre in the ribs. More punches right to the top of Andre's head, man. Andre is losing oxygen fast. It doesn't help when Randy Savage is destroying you. Randy Savage grabs Andre's nose further, trying to suffocate him, choking him more. Andre gets one arm out finally, and Andre uses that one arm to chop Randy directly into the chest, stunning his heart, pushing him backwards. Andre is finally free but on the ground. Randy put the knee right into the fucking mouth of Andre the Giant. That is brutal. Kicking him in the face, kicking him in the ribs, overhand elbow to Andre. Andre's on his knees, fighting his way back up to his feet. As he gets up, he pushes Randy into the rope. He pins Randy on the ropes. Randy's sitting on the second rope. Andre is punching him in the chest. Randy stands up, and Andre with a big headbutt to Randy that knocks Randy through the ropes onto the ring apron. Andre trying to get his win back after being crucified in the ropes. Randy attacks with chops, vicious chops. Five vicious chops. Randy is unhinged here. Elbow to the top of the head. A punch to the face here. Randy, like I said, little moves, simple moves, but with maximum effort and maximum viciousness and maximum impact and effect. Randy to the top rope. Andre's back is to him. Andre turns around and at the exact moment Andre turns around, double axe handle to the face of Andre and the man goes down. The Colossus of Rhodes is crumbling into the Mediterranean Sea. That is the mat. Randy to the top rope again, as beautiful and fluid as any wrestler's ever done it. Once again, goes for the elbow drop and he misses. Andre rolls out of the way and rolls out of the ring. Randy's right arm is shattered. He's holding his wrist, possibly broken, possibly fractured. Andre is on the ground. He's feeling it. I do not think he's ever gotten his win back in this match. Randy smashes Andre's face into the announce table. Andre scatters the ring announcers. As Miss Elizabeth is on the stairs next to the ring table, Andre grabs her leg. This is a scene very reminiscent of Jason Voorhees grabbing Chris in Friday the 13th Part 3 in that very bizarre flashback scene. Billy Graham is saying, macho, macho. What are Andre's plans here. It gets Randy Savage's immediate attention. Randy jumps out, attacks Andre with double axe handle, smashing his face into the post. Elizabeth is terrified here, being assaulted. Who knows what's happened to her? What, what her leg? A man whose hands are the size of manhole covers has grabbed her leg and crushed her ankle, possibly. Much like Killer Khan broke Andre's ankle in 1981, Andre may have broken Liz's ankle here. Savage isn't even listening for the announcement here. He picks up Liz and just carries her to the back. He doesn't grab his champion 
championship. Andre has the championship. Andre's holding it in the ring. All Randy Savage cares about is his girl, Miss Elizabeth. Andre is pissed. Kind of don't know why he thinks he would have won this match. Andre is always delusional and just thinks he wins the title no matter what he does. He's a giant. He does whatever the fuck he wants, takes what he wants. So it is a double count out since Andre was outside the ring. And as the 10 count was about to be called, Savage jumped outside the ring and just at the 10 count. And that leads to a double count out, I guess. Uh, You know, sometimes the logic of the rules of a double count out in the WWF are nebulous and amorphous and just don't make any goddamn sense. But the in-ring result of this match is not the most important part to the story. It's definitely secondary to what happens after. The referee gets a really brazen, gets on the mic and says, you are not the champ. Randy's still the champ. It's a double count out. Andre has an incredible moment with the belt over his shoulder, grabs the ref by the neck, and is screaming, say it, say it, into the microphone. Andre's holding the microphone, saying, say it, the new world champion. The referee is terrified. He finally acquiesces, knowing he's about to be fucking murdered by Andre, and says, Andre is the new world champion. Andre is screaming and choking him still, and this referee realizes he was about to die. Andre, with his left hand, drops him like he's dead, a dead body on the ground. As the ref is falling, Andre goes to smack him in the face, and he does not hit, but goddamn, that ref's head would have flown into 34th Street. Andre nearly killed this man. What do we see? Andre standing in the middle of the ring, title over his left shoulder, arms up, saying, I am the new world champion. Holy shit, what an image, what a post-match. One of the greatest moments of Andre the Giant in MSG history. Just pure madness, pure delusion. And then what happens, we get more. A heavy fine has been issued to Andre the Giant by the referee. Andre grabs the title and walks to the back as Randy Savage is declared still the champion, just for clarification. That referee is long gone, is is not around Andre to see what the fuck happens. This was insane. Billy Graham wants Andre suspended for six months and says it's disgusting in his weird gold lame sweatshirt. This is one of the best post-match segments in, in MSG history. This is one of the best finishes in MSG history with Andre trying to murder Miss Liz. And, and it's crazy to think of what the ramifications could have been with the giant and Miss Liz. And Randy coming in, saving her from the angry giant. Like, just beautiful stuff, man. So that was the mid-show main event before intermission. And during intermission, we get interviews and we get an interview with Andre, with Bobby Heenan in the back and Sean Mooney, where Andre is demanding, say, the new world champion. Say, it Sean Mooney finally does Bobby says learn your lesson macho man should have never thrown me out of the ringside he talks about Liz Andre calls Liz a garbage collector because Savage is garbage Andre says I am the two-time world champion and for the second time I'm leaving without the belt for the first time he beat Hulk Hogan for the second time he beat the not so macho man Randy Savage this is an incredible promo by Andre Andre used the best English as a second language promo of all time, I think. Killed it here. Bobby killed it. Real quick, cool promo. Andre blames Jack Tunney for fucking him over twice. And even furthering this incredible night of these two dudes, we get a match with Scott Casey beating Sandy Beach. Right after the match, Randy runs out to the ring in new long tights and cowboy boots. And he says he's got a message for Bobby and Andre. He says he has signed an open contract and that he wants Andre to sign it. Calls Andre the eighth one of the world, says, A giant man, you have picked on a 105-pound woman, you have picked on Liz and now she is hurt and when Liz is hurt I am hurt Randy says and Andre you listen to me you sign your name to that contract I promise you I'm gonna kick your ass crowd goes fucking wild Randy Savage bearing his emotions to the crowd to us once again why he's the greatest of all time at portraying real emotions in a wrestling environment connecting with us saying when my partner is hurt I hurt. This is the definition of empathy right here. 
the motivation to kill this giant is not the championship anymore, defending the championship. It's not competition. It is, you have hurt me. I am going to take my emotions and channel them into a fist, and I'm going to punch you in the goddamn face with it, and I'm going to take you, and I'm going to put you in the ground, even if it's the last thing I ever do. It is fucking incredible. These three segments on this show are some of the three best segments you will ever see in wrestling. This is some of the coolest shit ever. It is the perfect example of using an MSG show with a hot crowd to build to more. And maybe we'll see more at a pay-per-view. Maybe on a Saturday night. Just have to wait and see. Five stars for each segment. And Randy's thing has always been his mental state. Taking him in directions that are why he has a hard time maintaining the world championship. Moments like this with Wiz being attacked by this giant are just one. It's just one of the constant things that is tearing at Randy Savage's mind and his heart. Now, one month before this match on August 28th, 1988, Metallica released their fourth album, And Justice For All. And that was the first album that they had that had a huge hit, which would be the song One. But there's a song called Frayed Ends of Sanity that really encapsulates who Randy Savage is as a person. And the lyrics and the song itself just really capture what it must be like to be Randy Savage. I have fallen prey to failure, struggle within triggered again. He has the the failure here of protecting Liz triggers his madness. And every time he fails, it drives him crazy. Now the candle burns at both ends. This is Savage always. He's always investing himself so deeply into everything he does. Protecting Liz, his struggle to be a man, his struggle to be a good man, his desire to be the best, to, to be the champ. Twisting under schizophrenia, falling deep into dementia. This is his struggle with his dichotomy of a personality, and that makes him do demented things. Old habits reappear, fighting the fear of fear, growing conspiracy, everyone's after me. As we'll see with Hogan, sometimes just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they ain't out to get you. But the conspiracy theories and thinking everyone's after me, this just encapsulates, like I said, Randy Savage perfectly. And the final line of this part is, afraid ends of sanity, hear them calling me. This is what we watch when we watch Randy Savage, especially in this year of 1988. How his sanity is freight and how deeply invested he is in everything, just trying to hold everything together, burning the candle at both ends. And this is why Randy Savage has the most emotionality of any wrestler ever, investing you so deeply into everything he does. As we watch this man struggle in his profession, in his relationship, in his relationships with men, with his wife, and then we watch his relationships within his own mind, and watching him try to keep that all together. And it doesn't always work, but we always want to watch it. Sorry to be a bit rambly today, but these are two of my favorites of all time, and one of my favorite moments of all time. So I might have been a little verbose. My name is Rocco Martone, and I say check it all out. All right, that's it for this episode of Cronoso. In a way, everyone's going to have to stand back and wait two more weeks to complete this episode of Cronoso. Again, thank you to everyone. We will see you in two weeks to conclude this, along with Saturday Night's main event number 17. For now, guys, stand back and enjoy. Stand back!